Welcome, and thank you for listening to the West Hills Podcast. West Hills Church is a balanced, engaged, authentic, disciple-making church that serves the St. Louis, Missouri area with Sunday services at 9 and 1045 a.m. For more information on our church, go to westhillsstl.org. Now, here's the sermon from Sunday. But this morning, we're actually headed to the opposite end of the uh, age spectrum, and uh, I, I had to apologize in our first service. Most of our senior saints here at West Hills attend the first service together, and they have Sunday school at 1045. I had to apologize to them, any of you who might identify as a, uh, as a senior saint this morning for this opening joke, but I thought it was too, too funny not to share with you. Um, three seniors are chatting, comparing their ailments, and uh, the first one, 70-year-old, says, you know, 70 is tough. You always feel like you have to pee, but most of the time you just stand there and nothing comes out. Uh, that's nothing, the 80-year-old said. When you're 80, your bowels start to shut down. You take laxatives, you eat bran, you sit on the toilet all day long, nothing comes out. Oh, wait till you're 90, said the 90-year-old. You have trouble peeing too, said the 70-year-old. No, I pee every morning, 6 a.m., like clockwork. So you've got problems with your bowel movements, asked the 80-year-old. Nope. Have one every morning, 6.30, real regular. What's so tough about being 90 then, they asked. 90-year-old replied, I don't wake up until (laughs) 7. Getting old is not for the faint of heart. Or so I hear. I wouldn't know. Uh, Not that I'm getting old. The guys in my discipleship group this past week, I was... Reminded of my own agingness, uh, all the guys in my discipleship group are in their 20s. So when we were meeting at Starbucks, and an uh, older gentleman, you know, probably in his 50s or 60s, came over and told us how encouraged he was uh, to see us young men together studying God's Word. After he left, Cole Deming turned to me and said, wow, that was really cool. I said, yeah. He said, no, that he still considered you a young man. <laughs> Groups you in with us. Cole can laugh, but uh, the Bible declares that long life is a blessing from God, Psalm 91.16. Proverbs 16.31 calls my gray hair a crown of glory. That's probably supposed to refer to uh, the top of your head, the crown, but um, that uh, ship sailed for me years ago already. Uh, But don't make fun of my baldness. You remember what happened to those young men who mocked the prophet Elisha. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 29, especially sounds a lot like Solomon's message for us this morning in Ecclesiastes chapters 11 and 12. That's where we're going to be camping out in our penultimate uh, sermon in this series. I hope it's been such a blessing to you if you want to begin turning there in your Bibles, Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. Um, but Proverbs 20, 29, sort of, it's a good introduction, says, the, the glory of young men is their strength. But the splendor of the old men is their gray hair. In other words, we've really got a lot to celebrate and be grateful for no matter what season of life you find yourself in. Remember back in chapter 3, Solomon uh, encouraged us, rejoice that God has made everything beautiful in its time. There's a time to be born, he said, and a time to die. And in between, there's a time to be young and there's a time to be old. And he says both are beautiful in their own ways, in their own times. The young praise God for their strength and vitality, for their beauty and passion. 
All the old praise him for their wisdom and longevity, for their perspective and contentment. When you're young, you have your whole life ahead of you to look forward to. And when you're old, if you belong to the Lord, that just makes you that much closer to being with him face-to-face, true life, eternal life, and paradise. So it's a win-win either way. And yet, as you might have guessed by this point in our walking through Ecclesiastes together, Solomon is also going to remind us this morning that there are unique challenges that come with each of these seasons of life as well. Sure, you may be strong and spirited while you're young, but you're probably also proud and foolish. You may be wise and fulfilled as an old person, but you're probably also slow and decrepit. So just as Solomon has warned us all throughout this book against idolizing any of God's good gifts, pleasure, wisdom, wealth, work. They're all good, but they're all insufficient, unable to fulfill us in the most ultimate, deepest sense. So too this morning, Solomon is going to warn us against idolizing either our youth or our old age. Both are gifts to be enjoyed. But like every good gift, both are intended to point us back ultimately to the giver in whom alone we can find true satisfaction. So, that introduction, if you are able physically to stand with me, I would invite you to do so out of respect for the reading of God's word from Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We'll start in verse 7. God willing, we'll uh, make it all the way to chapter 12, verse 8, and this next to the last sermon in Ecclesiastes. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dim, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. <clears throat> They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in their way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, <clears throat> and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. So before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered to the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was. The spirit returns to God who gave it. 
vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again this morning for your word. Uh, Would you use it this morning once again to humble us and teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom and a heart of gratitude and appreciation for every day that you give us here under the sun. And we look forward most of all to that day when we will finally be above the sun with you. Would you use this reflection this morning of our own mortality to encourage us, excite us about the life that we have here and the even better life we have to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, you'll notice that I modified my title here a bit since Thursday when the bulletins were printed. It was clear to me early in the week in these verses that Solomon's warning us about the heaviness, about the the futility, the emptiness, the bleakness of old age, aging. That is obvious. What was less clear but became more apparent to me the more I studied this throughout the later week is that Solomon is really warning against the heaviness, the, the fleetingness, the vanity, the hollowness of youth as well. He wants to warn us against both this morning, against trusting in either your, your youth or your old age. <clears throat> and the first reason why is that death is coming. Death is coming for us all. Now, we've discussed this at length because Solomon has addressed the inevitability of death in every single chapter of this somewhat grim book. But he returns to death here once again in verses 7 and 8. When he says, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. We want him to stop right there. Stop writing, stop reflecting, because there hasn't been a whole lot of sweetness and pleasantness to enjoy throughout Ecclesiastes. As a matter of fact, if you failed to consider his words here in the wider context of this philosophical, philosophical journey that Solomon has been on for 11 chapters now, you would be tempted to think that he's contradicting himself. Because back in chapter 4, you remember, Solomon confessed, I thought the dead more fortunate than the living who were still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and who has not yet seen the evil done under the sun. But now he tells us here in chapter 11 that it's actually pleasant to see the sun. Verse 8, to enjoy the sweetness of life while you can because soon it's all coming to an end. So which is it, Solomon? Which is better, life or death? Better to see the sun or better to be free from this life under the sun? Well, the key here is context. Remember, Ecclesiastes is essentially Solomon's testimony. It's his testimony. And so his earlier words from chapter 4 reflect something like Solomon's college years, when he put all his heart and his hope into social activism, and he was taking lots of poli-sci classes at his liberal arts university so he could go out and change the world. But then he got out into the world, the real world, and quickly became jaded and disillusioned by all the injustice he found, by the disconnect between the real and the ideal. The world isn't as it should be, and even a king like Solomon didn't really have much power to fix it. 
But by chapter 11, Solomon has finally made his peace with all this. Remember his serenity prayer from last week. As we open chapter 11, Solomon learned to accept that some things in life, most things in life, are outside of his control. And he's just got to let go and let God. And having made his peace with that, Solomon is now at the end of his life and he's realizing he probably doesn't have that many sunrises left on his horizon. And so he better enjoy each one of them that he still gets while he can. Light is sweet. Light is sweet. Verse 8 makes it clear Solomon is using light and sun here as metaphors for life. And so he exhorts us. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Darkness, of course, is a euphemism for death here. Solomon has already detailed for us back in chapter 9 why our coming death is vanity, why it's hevel. It's because death has the power to undo everything good that we loved and lived for in life. The darkness of death eclipses the light of life. The days of darkness, he says, will be many. They're going to outnumber your days here. How many years do you reckon that you will enjoy here on earth? Psalm 90 verse 10 estimates for us that the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Or if you're really blessed like June Nystrom here, founding member who started this church in her basement, maybe you make it all the way to 96. And yet, soon, they are gone, Psalm 90 says. And we fly away. And unless Christ returns soon, you're going to be dead a whole lot longer than you will spend here on earth alive. Our lives are heavy. They are transitory. They're temporary. We're here today we're gone tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears a little time and then vanishes, James 4. Man, is like a breath. Your days are like a passing shadow, Psalm 144. And according to Solomon, contemplating this, reflecting on our own mortality, just how fleeting our lives really are, that ought to provoke two opposite but equally strong and true responses, emotions within us. Wistfulness, and gratefulness. To be wistful is to be full of sorrowful longing, thoughtful sadness. Time that's already passed. I'll never get back. Like me, yesterday, realizing I had coached my last game ever of first grade girls soccer. I loved it. And the next time I get to coach Ellery, she'll be a whole other year older. And the time goes way too fast. Life is way too short. That also ought to make us equally grateful, though. Grateful for whatever short time God does see fit to give us down here. Because we're not entitled to a single day of it. We need to remind ourselves we're not owed a single day of our lives. And yet God has given me 13,845 of them. 13,845 gifts from God. 13,845 days, sunrises, I didn't deserve. And I may have 13,000 left. I could have 23,000 left. Probably not 33,000, I hope. Or I could have one left. I don't know. And you don't know. None of us knows. The psalmist says, teach us to number our days. 
It means the ones behind us, not the ones in front. We can't number the ones in front of us. It's to be grateful for all the ones we've lived so far. Make the most of each and every single one of them. Verse 8, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. There's no such thing as a bad day. If God gives you life, breath today, it's a good day. If the sun is shining, it's a good day for you. Wake up every single day singing Psalm 118, verse 24. You know it, you know the song version, learn in Sunday school? It's a call and response, it's really easy, I'll teach you. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You should sing that song every morning when you wake up. Be reminded. God has made today, and it's a gift from him. Let's rejoice in it. Be glad. Be grateful. Because you never know when it's going to be the last sunrise you will ever witness. You never know when it's going to be the last cup of coffee you get to brew and anticipate, smell, savor. When it will be the last soccer game you ever coach. When it will be the last cuddle that you'll enjoy. Your child can fit in your lap. The last I love you you'll ever hear. You don't know. Even the stuff you don't enjoy, Solomon says, you should enjoy it while you can. You never know when it'll be the last diaper you'll, you'll get to change. Get sentimental about that one day, wistful. The last fight between your kids that you'll break up. The last TPS report you'll, you'll fill out at work. The last rainy day when you forgot an umbrella. Solomon says, one day you will lie there on your deathbed and you will long for that sensation, that feeling of the cool water, water drops on your skin. Just one more time, the time will be out. Life is precious, it's sweet. Let us rejoice every single day of it. The good times and the hard times because soon enough, too soon, it will all be over. And then, number two, judgment is coming. Solomon begins in verse 9 here by reiterating his imperative from verse 8. He says, rejoice, but whereas he previously told us to rejoice in all our years, now he is addressing specifically the young man in verse 9 to exhort him especially to rejoice in his youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes while you still can, while you're young, before you grow up and you can't get away with it anymore because one day you're going to grow up, you're going to have a big boy job, big girl job, boring old adult responsibilities, and if we all just followed our hearts and lived every day like it was our last, no one would ever go into work and fill out those TPS reports. So you better live it up, especially while you're young. Kids, try those backflips off the, off the diving board now while you can. It might cost you a nose full of water. Later, it will cost you a trip to the ER if you try it, right? Try, you know, water skiing. If you can't get up, who, who cares? Polly's uncle tried it when he was pushing 60, tore his glutes, couldn't sit down for almost a year. Chase your dreams. Chase your dreams now before they cost you exponentially, before it's too late. But Solomon says, before you do anything too wild, too sinful, and don't be like me and my friends, in the days of our youth, walking in the ways of our hearts, 
me and my friends, we used to cheer our hearts by having a laugh at other people's expense. We thought it was funny to go through the Burger King drive-thru and order a Big Mac and then get indignant when they wouldn't give it to us. The sign says, have it your way. My way is a Big Mac. Why don't you go next door and get, get it and drive it back over here to me? And then we go to Toys R Us, really dating myself. We go to Toys R Us and we get all the the uh, little kitty bikes off the racks and we'd race each other up and down the aisles until the employees would come and, and chase us out of the store. Solomon says, okay, before you do that, sin, more likely in the more common youthful ways of, of following your heart while ignoring God's commands, see how many beers I can drink before mom and dad notice, see how many bases I can round before my girlfriend tells me to stop. Before you cheer your heart in those ways, you should know, verse 9, that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. You should live your entire life as if it's true, because it is, that you will stand before the Lord and answer for every deed you ever do in this life. Solomon concludes the book of Ecclesiastes next week. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Every deed includes your youth. And I know I cannot be the only one here this morning who starts sweating when we realize that and we reflect back on your youth and how stupid you were. i got to stand up before God one day and answer for that? Oh. I was only 16. I was young. I was stupid. You were stupid and morally accountable. So this is probably a good time in the sermon to pause reminds you of the gospel, the good news, that when you stand before the judgment seat on that day in God's heavenly courtroom, you are going to have one of two defense attorneys there. It's either going to be you pleading your own case before him as you answer for every single deed, good and bad, before a holy, perfectly righteous God trying to justify to him how you really weren't that bad or you can have Jesus. Jesus there to make your defense for you and if you have Jesus in your corner here is his opening and closing argument. Father, I have made justification for him for her by my blood shed on the cross that paid for every sin. I rest my case, Your Honor. Judgment is coming, friends. You better make sure you've got the best defense attorney, attorney while you can get. But in the meantime, Solomon says, until then, pre-judgment, you should enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy life. God is not the fun police. He wants, Jesus said, I came that you have life to the fullest. Enjoy life, especially your youth. You only get to be young once. Enjoy it. Go skinny dipping. Stay up all night long with your fr- while you're young. Don't do it when you're old. No one wants to see that. Stay up, stay up late all night long with your friends just because you can. Ask that girl out who you've got the crush on, even though she's an eight and you're a five on a good day, because you never know. You just never know. Ask her. Why not? Who cares? You should take that ridiculous road trip 
that you, that you joked about with your friends in college, a couple of buddies and I, we, we, we joked, we dreamed about taking the first month of our summer breaks to drive all over the country and film a mockumentary of our search for the most elusive uh, mythical creatures in the country. The lizard man in South Carolina and Bigfoot, of course, and out in Washington State and El Chupacabra down in Texas. Would have been hilarious. It would have been absurd, stupid. And we should have done it. I, I, I still regret not taking that trip. Take it while you can. I wish someone had preached Ecclesiastes 11.9 for me sooner. Carpe the diem. YOLO. You only live once. Enjoy it. Go for it. And also, fear God. Live all of your life as if you will stand before God and answer for it one day because you will. Fear God and fear the coming judgment. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee youthful passion and pursue righteousness from a pure heart. And speaking of your heart, verse 10, point number three now, remove vexation from your heart. A vexation is any problem that causes us worry or concern, that angers, grieves, or irritates us. And so Solomon says, to the extent that you can, remove such problems from your life, from your heart, from your mind. Remember, this is 60-year-old Solomon now, looking back on 20-year-old Solomon, who we met earlier, the college student, undergrad, who, who lost so much sleep over income inequality, and the gender pay gap, and fighting racism and homelessness, and old Solomon wants to take young Solomon by the collar and shake him and tell him, dude, just chill. Just chill, because first of all, you really can't change the world nearly as much as you'd like to think. That's hubris. That is youthful hubris. The world does not need you. We haven't arrived now, after thousands of years of human history, because you're on the scene. Jesus said, there's always going to be poor people around. You can, you can lose all the sleep you want. Fight poverty. Do it. It's good. There's always going to be poor people around. So take a breath. Relax. Keep it in perspective. And secondly, you need to realize that you don't have to go looking for problems in life. That's his point here. Vexation is coming. Trust me. Problems, they will find you in due time. He tells the young man, remove vexation from your heart while you can, while you're young, for youth and the dawn of life are hevel. Remember, they're fleeting. The dawn of your life, your sunrise years, they're beautiful. and Of course, they're filled with exciting potential, but they will be short-lived. And then you'll spend most of your adult life over the hill in your sunset years in the dusk of life where problems will abound. Vexation's coming. Dawn is easy. You wake up, you, know, you ease into the day, still in your PJs with your Bible and your coffee before the rest of the family gets up. You make your to-do list. Oh, nothing but potential here. And by sunset, you're rushing just to get that one email out that you have to get sent before you can leave the office that got buried in the busyness of the day so you can rush home and relieve your wife for half an hour so she can get dinner fixed, so you can get the kids fed and bathed and read to and prayed for and the dog fed and walked and medicated and the bills paid that are due tomorrow and finally try on those clothes that came in the mail before the return date passes the deadline and you've still got to discuss Thanksgiving plans so you can let the extended family know 
and they can make plans, and you've still got to decide which family photos you like so you can order those in time to get your Christmas cards made. And I'm only 37, and I live a relatively very upper-middle-class, comfortable uh, lifestyle, and I'm exhausted. I don't lose sleep over how we're going to solve world hunger. Between the kid who's sick and the one who has nightmares and the dog who needs to be let outside three times in the middle of the night and the wife who's pregnant and rolls over all and tosses and turns all night and can't sleep anymore and that's all just preparing me for kid number three when I'll never sleep again. (laughs) World hunger has to solve itself. It must be nice to be Bill Gates and to sleep on a pile of money and just dream about, you know, which disease you want to eradicate from the earth next. But for the the rest of the 99% of us down here, we're just trying to hold it together without losing our job and sending our kid to school without pants on. Again. Solomon says, don't you worry. You are going to have plenty of problems to solve soon enough. Just wait. A lifetime of problems are coming your way. So while you can, remove vexation from your heart. Man, don't get all existentially angsty in your teenage years. Gosh, just enjoy it. And while you're at it, number four, put away pain from your body too. Verse 10. Because just as vexation is coming for your heart, you better believe that pain, aches and pains are coming for your body. Can I get an amen from any of my senior saints? They're talking now. Wake up. Somebody shake a senior beside you. I reached out to some of our senior saints this week, um, and I said, you know, tell me about your experience of aging. What kinds of physical um, maladies would you warn those of us who are younger about? Because that's, that's Solomon's whole point here. Solomon's saying, thinking about your death can help you appreciate your life more. So think about it. He's saying, thinking about your old age that's coming and all its ailments can help you appreciate your youth and your vitality and the body you do have while it still works. So think about it. And so here's, what, here's the feedback I got from some of you all this week. I have trouble breathing and need oxygen. This reduces my mobility and leads to a lot of problems regarding meals and isolation. I take Lasix to reduce water buildup, and this multiplies the number of times I have to go to the bathroom. It's hard to get there in time when I need to. I'm blessed that I don't have cognitive problems, at least. I don't need full-time nursing help, but many of my friends are not so fortunate, and it is a real strain on their family. Others were a bit more lighthearted. One of you replied to me, My days are much shorter now because it takes me all day to do what I used to be able to do in an hour. When I go into a room, can't remember why in the world I'm there. I went to the doctor for a physical and I shrunk two inches, can't figure out where they went. I read recipes the same way I read science fiction now. I get to the end and think, yeah, right, like that's going to (laughs) happen. Another of you simply, simply reported, I used to walk a lot, even run. Now I don't like to walk publicly for fear people will think I'm drunk because I'm so wobbly. That's what we've got to look forward to. Young people still identify, Cole, with young people. Those of you who are really young, younger than me, I can personally give you a preview of your 30s. Literally the day I turned 30, we were having a Christmas party for the youth group. I bent over to pick up, a, pick up a basketball. I wish I could say I was raising up to dunk on a high schooler, put him in his place. I was bending over to pick up the ball, threw out my back. I couldn't walk the next day. 
A year later when I was playing, I blew out my Achilles. I couldn't walk for nine months. My orthopedic surgeon handed me a stack of business cards to pass out to all the other 30-somethings who play in our weekly basketball game. He said 80% of his business is guys in their 30s still trying to do things athletically that they could do in their 20s. Pain is coming for you. There's another possible translation here. Some of your Bibles may include a footnote here. Or perhaps you're reading the good old KJV. Put away evil from thy flesh. That's what the Hebrew literally reads. Put away evil from thy flesh. Stop sinning. I like how commentator Max Rogland brings these two possible translations together of the physical and the spiritual. He thinks Solomon is intentionally ambiguous about which one he means because he meant both. Roglin explains one challenge of middle age is the difficulty one faces in trying, for instance, to get in better physical shape. In one's 40s or 50s, it becomes much harder to lose weight or build muscle. What's true of us physiologically, though, is also true of us spiritually. Habits of godliness that lead to spiritual health are best established in one's youth. That's what Solomon's getting out here. While many people talk about eventually getting serious about religion in their advanced years, this rarely actually happens. It becomes increasingly difficult to shed spiritual flab. Solomon is saying get spiritually fit while you still can because like any muscle, your spiritual muscles will atrophy over time if you're not working them out. Don't wait until you're older to get right with God because number one, the longer you go without him, the more used to it you become. The harder you harden your heart toward him. You get stuck in your old ways, in your sinful ways. And if you eat nothing but junk food for decades, what makes you think you're suddenly going to develop a taste for vegetables when you get old? No, Solomon says, you develop a healthy spiritual palate now. Now. Because number two, you're not promised old age anyway. If you keep putting off God until tomorrow, one of these days your tomorrows will run out. And you don't always have the luxury of knowing when that day will be. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just know, oh, this is the day. I mean, actually, it would probably be terrible to know this is the day that my tomorrows run out. You don't always get that heads up before it's too late. The deathbed conversion rarely happens. Yes, it is true that often God will, in his mercy, allow us to endure the difficulties and pains of old age, the long, drawn-out physical suffering that accompanies the shedding of these mortal bodies. You say, mercy? What is merciful about God letting our bodies decay? Can't you see, friends, God's mercy? in how he systematically is trying to strip you of everything else in your life that you've ever tried to put your hope in. You've trusted in your riches. How's that working for you when you're there in the hospital bed, working on your will, making plans to leave it all behind to someone else? That was chapters 5 and 6 of Ecclesiastes. You've trusted in your family. Now they're all by your bedside saying their final goodbyes because you're leaving them behind too. Can't take them with you. We talked about how you can't, 
You never see a, a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Can't take your stuff with you. You never see it, you know, pull, pulling a minivan either. You don't get to take people with you. All right? What about your health? Again, you've trusted in your, your health, your youth, your vitality. Now you can't even sit up in bed. You labor to take a single breath. It's like God is screaming at you. Don't you get it? Everything else in your life is going to fail you. It's passing away. Your own body is rebelling against you. Your own body is breaking down, rotting off the bone in the mirror right in front of you. How much more obvious do I need to make it for you that nothing that you put your hope in in this world is going to last under the sun? None of it survives the grave. You have to leave all of it behind except for me. God's saying the instant after you take your final breath and all the lights go out for good, then it's just you and me. God says, it's just us. That's either going to be a terrifying prospect for you. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him now, while he can still be known, don't wait until you hear Jesus say, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. Don't wait until everything else in your life is stripped away to finally, finally deal with Jesus, come face to face with Jesus. No, meeting him then will be a terrifying prospect. But if you come to Jesus today, Seeing him in heaven will be a tremendous promise that you can eagerly await. Those are the two options. The, the most important question in your life is what do you do with Jesus? And there's only two, two options. It's either a terrifying prospect meeting him or a tremendous promise that you eagerly await your arrival home. Is meeting Jesus your unnerving, inescapable reality or is it your unending, inexplicable reward? You need a relationship with Jesus before it's too late, before you expire. And that's where Solomon leaves us in chapter 12, our expiration, one long poetic metaphor for our decaying bodies. He reiterates, remember your creator, verse 1, in the days of your youth before... The evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Number five, displeasure is coming. And then Solomon paints this vivid picture for us of just how displeasurable it's going to be in your old age. Ready? Verse two, it says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. Again, the idiom. Before the lights go out, i.e., you die. Before you die, and before the clouds return after the rain, even before that, before you start losing your mind. He's talking about mental fogginess here. Verse 3 In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, your hands and your arms start to shake, and the strong men are bent before your knees start to give out. The grinders cease because they are few. What's that? Your teeth, before your teeth start falling out. You can't chew your food anymore, can't grind it. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. Your eyesight starts to fade. And the doors on the street are shut. 
The sound of the grinding is low because you lose your hearing. Shut your doors. And one rises at the sound of a bird, and yet, yet you, you still have trouble sleeping. You can't hear anything, but you're up with the birds. And all the daughters of song are brought low. You lose your voice. You can't sing anymore. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the highway. He says before you get so old that going down the stairs in the morning is the most exciting, terrifying part of your day. Before, you know, you're taking your life in your hands every time you get behind the steering wheel. You're out on the highway. And before the almond tree blossom, blossoms, what's that? The almond trees blossom, turn white. It's your hair. Before the grasshopper drags itself along, what's that, Brian Gaither? It's your cane, it's your walker, right? Before you're dragging like him. Before desire fails, it's your libido. Every single physical aspect of you is going to be stripped away from you. Why? Verse 5, because man is going to his eternal home. Because your home is not here. You've got a date. Destiny. And then we'll have a funeral for you as the mourners go about the street. So Solomon concludes, before all that happens, before the silver cord is snapped, your spinal cord, or the golden bowl is broken, your skull, or the pitcher is shattered, your lungs, or the wheel is broken at the cistern, your heart. Another interpretation of verse 6 is silver cord, bowl, the pitcher, the wheel, the pulley, they're all components of a very ornate well. Water was a universal symbol of life. So Solomon's saying, before your life when, when you can't draw any more life because the whole well is broken. You can't draw anything. That well is dry. Before it runs dry, verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. There's a sliver of hope, right? Because your body's going to turn into food for worms. You better not be hoping in your health and in your body. But your spirit's going to be with God either in heaven to experience his eternal blessings or in hell to experience his eternal wrath. Solomon says, before all that, what? How did he start this whole big, long, run-on word picture back in verse 1? Before all that happens to you, while you still can, what? Remember your creator. Remember your creator. So let's end with Solomon's three takeaways for us. I only uh, listed one there in your bulletins. The more I thought about it this week, I thought, you know what, he gives us three imperatives in this chapter. We've already discussed the first two, but speaking of old age, you've probably already, half of y'all probably already forgotten the first two. So let's recap all three. Takeaway number one, rejoice. Rejoice in your youth, especially Remember, rejoice in your youth, but also remember where Solomon started in point one. Rejoice in all your years. I mean, if you live many years, even if you're old, don't be one of those old people that just constantly complains about your aches and pains. Rejoice that God is still giving you the breath in your lungs. Every day is a gift from God. Live it to the fullest to the extent you're able. Number two, remove. Remove worries from your heart pains from your body to the extent that you can, and most of all, remove evils from your flesh. Stop 
worrying about tomorrow, Jesus said. It has got plenty of worries of its own. You need to take life as it comes to you, one problem at a time. And while you're young, enjoy the worriestlessness of your youth while you can, kids. Because aches and pains, they're right around the corner. They're coming for you. So remove them while you can. Take care of your body. This is good biblical you know, exhortation to go to your doctor, eat well, exercise, take care of your body. You only get one. Remove those pains. Most of all, though, take care of your soul. Because you only get one of those two, and it's eternal. No matter how well you take care of your body, it's food for worms. Your soul is eternal. Take care of it. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of your life, Proverbs 4, 23. Guard it by removing evil from your flesh. Mortify your sin. Put to death. Kill the sin in your life. Colossians 3, 5. And pursue righteousness and life instead. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Point number three. Rejoice, remove, and remember. You do that, you pursue righteousness by remembering your creator. Remember, God is your creator. He's the reason you have life in the first place. You didn't decide to be born. God gave you life as a gift. Thank him for it. Live your whole life as a response of gratitude for it. The Lord gives, and one day the Lord will take away. And what is our right response? Blessed be the name of the Lord, our creator and our sustainer. Solomon calls on us to remember him. This is one of the most common recurring commands all throughout the Bible. Remember. Why? Because we're so forgetful, aren't we? Not just the old, old folks who struggle with memory loss issues. We're all so forgetful. I mean, young people, how forgetful are you that you're going to stand before a judge every time you want to sin? That's when you forget you're going to stand before a judge. We're so forgetful and we're so distracted. We we need to be constantly reminded of who God is and who we are. And because of the gap between the two, what Jesus did for us to make us his own. We need to remember him, remember the gospel every single day. Remember, repent once again of our sins and return to our good shepherd. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. But God has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Repent of our sins. Return to the shepherd and remember the gospel.